What's up, bosses? Before we kick off this episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week. It is Indeed.com. These are our hiring goals, they say. They're very aggressive. But when everyone looks at you, you're calm. Why is that? Because you know you don't need a miracle. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed is a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. They have all kinds of great time-saving tools to help you find amazing talent like Indeed's instant match assessments and virtual interviews. I'm going to tell you all about those features coming up in the break in the show, but if you want to get a jump start on hiring right now, we're going to hook you up with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post when you head over to Indeed.com slash iLab. This offer is only good for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. One more time, that's indeed.com slash iLab. Terms and conditions apply. Pay per qualified applicant not available for all users. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's kick off this episode of Invest Like a Boss. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. What is up, bosses? A special one-on-one episode. This is episode number 230 of Invest Like a Boss. I'm Derek Sparts here, home in Los Angeles, Johnny FD, as we probably most of us know, sort of without a home right now. That's why we're going to talk about Ukraine on this episode. Johnny, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Uh, I actually just got back from Ukraine maybe three days ago. Uh, I'm in Krakow, Poland, which is uh, near the border now. So for those of you out there, obviously, we record these a little bit in advance. Um, We are in the first week of May right now. So when this comes out in a couple of weeks, things might've changed or they could just kind of stayed the same. Hopefully they've gotten better, but Johnny's here to kind of give us an update on what Ukraine looks like. He just got back there. Um, kind of his involvement with Ukraine, you know, what kind of investment properties he has and just general everyday life from another view where that you might not see on in the news when they only get, you know, a minute to talk about something. This can be kind of a, a longer form conversation about what, what he's kind of just seeing on the streets of Ukraine. Yeah. Things. Uh, yeah. It's kind of crazy, right? Where even though I'm happy that the local news are covering it, you're right. It's, it's the same format where they, they get like five minutes per topic and they're just like, bam, 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 bam. And it's, it's very, you know, there's so much more to talk about. And the thing is, my biggest fear is every time there's, you know, something new, uh, you know, going on in the news, people kind of just forget about, you know, Ukraine. So I think that's happened twice already now. Uh, one was with the, the uh, Will Smith slap yep. and then the Johnny Depp trial. And I was, who knows I what's just next. Brought, I just brought this up to a friend the other day. The news was kind of on in the background. And I go, you know what? They don't talk about Ukraine anymore. So um, there's some big issues with, uh, at least here in the United States, you know, the Will Smith thing was a big deal. And actually just out here um, in LA, I actually went to another show The Netflix is doing this huge comedy series and Dave Chappelle got attacked on stage. So I'm sure that's going to be in the news for another week. And then we also have some Supreme Court issues going on. So a lot of stuff going on here home in the US that maybe Ukraine gets pushed to the back burner, which is really unfortunate because- People are actually dying and our problems here in the U.S. are extremely minimal compared to what a lot of people in the world are dealing with. And we just don't see that in the news. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, and it's sad because without the support of the U.S., Ukraine is basically screwed. Like the the only reason why they've been able to fight off the Russian invasion is because they have like anti-aircraft defense, you know, weapons and these javelins and and laws, you know, these anti-tank weapons that were given by the U.S. and NATO. And the only reason why the U.S. is doing it, you know, besides their own kind of security is because the public supports it. Yeah. And I actually, I, I, to be fair, I do see quite a bit of support here around Los Angeles, Uh, lots of Ukrainian flags, which is good to see. Hopefully a lot of people are donating and helping, you know, where they can. 
But why don't you just kind of give us an outlook on, first of all, I was in Ukraine last year, first time I'd ever been there. And to be honest with you, before I'd been there, I don't, if there's no names on a map, Johnny, I don't think I could have pointed to you where Ukraine was. And I, I'm definitely not alone in that, at least as an American. I, I would say, I don't know, 10% of people could find Ukraine on a map without a name, if that. So why don't you lay out kind of the geography of Ukraine? Because it's a huge country. We were on a train for, what, five or six hours, and we, we didn't even get across the whole country. So it's a huge space, and there's a lot of people there, too. Yeah, so you know, geographically, it is Eastern Europe. It's like the most east you can you can get before you hit Russia. Um, you know, uh, south of Ukraine would be the Black Sea, then the Turkey. North would be like Belarus. Uh, it's right next to Poland, Romania, Moldova. It, it, like I understand why you know people don't go there, right? And it's it's just it's really out of the way. Um, but technically it's still, I mean, it, it is, it is Europe still. It's, it's the, the furthest East you can go. Uh, I think before this war and, you know, it's been over the news, like a lot of people, including, you know, like my mom's friends and relatives, they're saying, you know, like, wow, like I didn't realize how nice, uh, Ukraine was or Kiev was until I started seeing like the before photos. So I, I would have to agree, actually, just seeing it in person. It was, <clears throat> there's there's definitely still elements of, you know, Soviet Soviet builds and kind of some ugly buildings, but there's some really kind of great stuff too. And it's clean. It is super clean. Like there's no trash in the streets, kind of stuff you kind of picture, like, I guess, poor countries that you, I've, I've gone to some, some really like poor cities and, you know, it's just, it's grimier. And you, Kiev was really clean and like bustling. Yeah. And, you know, somebody actually pointed out, I don't know if it was one of my like Instagram photos or something. They said, I'm shocked to see that there are trash bags, like, like bin liners in the public uh, trash cans, even during war. We don't have that in the U.S. even during normal time. I don't even have that in L.A. today. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know. The, the restaurant scene, the cafes and the coffee shops and bars, like you can literally be in any major city in the U S and like, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll punch its own weight, you know? So let, let me, let's talk about some of the cities that are kind of on the news really quick. So let's talk about uh, first, like the, am I probably pronouncing this wrong? The Donbass is, is that mm. correct? Like w- why is that of importance to Russia? Cause that kind of seemed like the first place they wanted to hit. Yeah. So if you look at a, on a map, there was actually no uh, city or anything called Donbass. It's just, a, it's a region. It's the uh, very far East, a little bit towards the South. And it's made up of Luhansk, uh, Donetsk, and maybe, you know, a few other places. The reason why, it's you know important to russia is because it's right on their border it's like it's it's the furthest east you can get and right now and you know this is from you know from the intelligence that that i've collected and and you know so i i could be wrong on some of these things um and things change also really quickly as well so but basically there's two reasons why they want it one is I guess three. One is they just want land, right? They, they, they want to expand Russia and kind of get some of the glory back from the former USSR. And it's the closest border. So they could just kind of, you know, uh, inch their way through. But the, the two real reasons why they want it is one is when they took Crimea, uh, Ukraine cut them off from fresh water sources from, from the, uh, I think they dammed one of the, the rivers or something. So for the last couple of years, Crimea has been just like this, you know, aerating desert now uh and it's turned into a piece of crap and if uh you know russia could take the donbass they can have water flow uh, there again to make it useful and the second thing that is speculated is because there's oil there so you know th- th- there's potential uh money to be made in those areas Always comes down to the black gold. Um, others, I just want to touch on a couple other cities before we talk about Kiev, which is where your your main property is. Um, what about 
a city that we went to that was super fun and on the black sea beautiful we went to like some cool uh uh ocean clubs and mm-hmm. like uh just a fun little area um odessa that's yep. been in the news a lot it's a port on the black sea obviously a port would be important for them i assume and it's also a way for them to cut off supplies coming into ukraine so uh, tell us about odessa i guess a little bit and what you know about that so far yeah so uh, Odessa is the furthest, you know, s- uh, southern city to in Ukraine, and that and Crimea were kind of the two big ports, the you know, the two nice kind of beach places as well. It, it was really sad for for Ukraine when they lost access to to Crimea, where you know, because then everybody went to Odessa, the, the prices went up, and then it actually became cheaper just to go to Egypt or Turkey for vacation than even to get a hotel and drive down to Odessa. So that messed things up. Uh, as far as the war and why Russia wants it, is first, they would love to cut off Ukraine completely from the sea and turn it into a landlocked country. Uh, and that way they can, you know, they can just basically have all the control they want. They can have then direct access to Bedova, which they actually already control uh, territory in there called Prinistrovia or Transnistria. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but when the USSR fell, Moldova became a, you know, a, a, a free country, but uh, Russia didn't want to give up that control. So they basically backed this little strip of land with like half a million people right in between, halfway between Ukraine and Moldova. Uh, and it's called Transnistria. And the, the capital is called Tiraspol. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't, no. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I actually, I went there once um, and it's like the last remaining part of USSR. Like they're, they're still... Uh, this hammer and sickle signs up. There's still, you know, statues of Lenin up. It was funny to visit a few years ago because it was, you know, peace times. And it was just like, wow, I can't believe, you know, this exists. But now it's scary because if Russia can take Odessa uh, and that whole kind of Southern area, you know, that goes from basically Kherson to Mykolaiv to Odessa, they can have direct access to then um, Transnistria. Uh, And, Next step, I guess, Moldova, and then after that, Romania, and then after that, you know, you know, who, who knows what else? They just kind of inch their way and rebuild the USSR. Yeah, that's kind of the rumor going around that uh, Zelensky has put out there in the news, at least that you know, Ukraine is just kind of first on the list for Russia. You know, if if they get away with that, they're just going to keep marching. Um, how about on that covers uh, Eastern and Southern Ukraine. Uh, what about uh, extreme Western side, which would be Lviv. It's kind of, there's almost two Ukraines. Uh, we went to, we went to Odessa and uh, a lot of people were speaking Russian, if I remember correctly. And I guess if you go to Lviv, it's kind of the opposite where it's, um, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe yeah, like yeah. M- more more national pride for Ukraine, maybe in some of the uh, kind of older school, kind of as the closer you were to Russia, the maybe the more you bonded to Russia. Uh, partially, but actually it, it was it was it's more during USSR. Uh, they moved in a lot of Russian speakers to certain areas like um, like Odessa. And part of it is a way to kind of uh, control the area is if they have like their people, they like, you know, even if they ever have to you know, put it to a vote, their people are going to vote, you know, for them. Right. Or just, or at least have a better chance of voting for them. It's kind of like what um, mainland China is doing in Hong Kong right now. They, they realize that they can't uh, legally, you know, just take Hong Kong, even though, you know, technically, you know, Hong Kong is now uh, part of China again after the uh, after the Great Britain kind of what, what, like lease or whatever it was called uh, had expired. Mm-hmm. But people in Hong Kong don't want to be part of mainland China uh, and they can't forcefully take it back because it will cause a lot of conflict. So what they've been doing, and, and this is what my, my friends in Hong Kong have said, is they're just exporting a ton of mainland China, like Chinese immigrants into Hong Kong, like you know, hundreds a day. Like, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but let's say 500, um, you know, people a day, they're just like <clears throat> fast tracking immigration for them. And within a few years, there's going to be a majority mainland China, uh, you know, uh, Mandarin speakers versus 
you know, native Hong Kong, um, you know, Cantonese speakers. And, That's interesting. So yeah. like a, like a cultural influence and, in, you know, if, if I can't legally take it, I, I'm just going to send my friend, you know, essentially, you know, friends, friends of my party, I'm just going to send them all in. <laughs> so we have the new majority. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, that's kind of the way it is. And you know, th- this is maybe why like, you know, lots of Americans are afraid of too much immigration, right? They're like, well, if like, you know, uh, there's ever more Mexicans in, you know, uh, Texas or California than there are like English, you know, more Spanish speaking Mexicans, uh, than English speaking, um, you know, like even, white people, even, even you within know? the U S that I think a yeah. lot of people can relate to is, the, uh, the kind of the exit out of California, whether it's taxes, cost of living, whatever it may be, they've flooded states like California and Florida. And now you see people saying, you know, keep your California out of Florida or whatever, because the politics is shifting over there as well. Whereas, yep. uh, you know, Texas was always a pretty deep red state. Now, you know, uh, they're voting Democrats in and they're they're blaming essentially air quotes here, blaming Californians for that. So you even see it within the country. It doesn't even have to be from another country. It's it's cultural influence where if, if you know one thing and you move somewhere else, you don't just automatically adopt the new culture. You're still going to hold on to things that you had before. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it, it's, it, it is a complicated, um, you know, history and, you know, there's a lot of nuances, but basically that's what happened, you know, like in the extreme parts, the USSR basically forced a lot of Ukrainians and Ukrainian speakers to Siberia, which is a, you know, winter, you know, wasteland to these hard camps moved in Russian speakers. Uh, and then, you know, those people, you know, have been now been there for, you know, the generations. So they feel, you know, just as part of Ukraine as the, um, you know, as the people from the West, but, you know, uh, language wise, you know, they're Russian speaking first. So Russia thought that because of that, that they would, you know, happily want to reconnect and join Russia. But turns out they, they didn't. They're like, no, like we speak Russian, but we are Ukrainian. Like we like being part of a free democratic country. We don't want to be under Putin and his, his uh, control. And, you know, it's, and, and it gets, it gets complicated, but basically that's why people in the West speak Ukrainian and people in places like Odessa and Kharkiv, uh, you know, kind of a close to the East uh, and, and certain cities uh, were, you know, predominantly Russian speaking until now, <laughs> like, Putin's plan has literally backfired. Like people who have like never spoken uh, Ukrainian, like publicly or to their friends or, you know, outside they're learning Ukrainian now, or they're, you know, they're brushing up on their Ukrainian. They're like, you know what? We're switching. That's pretty cool to see. Um, why don't we talk about your trip back to Ukraine? Cause you, you got a couple of experiences. So you, you started from Poland, hopped the border. The first city you get to is Lviv and you made your way to Kiev so uh, let's talk about your experiences, you know, from Lviv and then going east to Kiev. And if you're not sure where Kiev is, essentially, I guess the best description would be just kind of smack dab in the center of the country, right? Yeah, but definitely a lot closer to Russia. It's 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 a lot um, more east. Uh, and actually, uh, kind of a fun fact is, even though we pronounced uh, the capital of Ukraine as Kiev, you know, um, for so many years, uh, that is the Russian pronunciation and the Ukrainian pronunciation, which has become very popular now uh, and it has become the new standard is Kiev. So instead of Kiev, it's now just Kiev. Thanks for clarifying that, because I guess I've kind of said both because I didn't know which to say, because you hear both on the news as well, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And, you know, it, it honestly, I've been like messing up, like because I've, I've been saying it, you know, one way for so many years. Uh, but it is just more polite to, to say, you know, call it Kiev now. Totally. So tell us about we've heard about your journey leaving Ukraine when when the war first started in February. How do you get back in? So ironically, it's very easy uh, to go back in and the border controls work almost exactly like they did pre-war. They even gave me kind of a, a little bit of crap for overstaying my my tourist visa. And then I had to, you know, show my, my residency card and they're like, Oh, okay, that's fine. And I was wondering, I was thinking, why do they even care about that right now? Like who's coming into Kiev right now or, or coming into right. Ukraine right now? 
I would have thought the same thing. Um, you had kind of mentioned, you know, hey, if, if it's kind of on you, you know, <laughs> take take your own life in your own hands. But also, uh, what's what's to stop? I don't know uh, someone who wants to do harm to Ukraine from just walking in as well. Yeah, and they've they've actually caught some saboteurs and you know uh, actually a bunch of literal assassins. You know, like we see this in movies. You know, um, we've read about this in history, but I didn't think in 2022 there would be actual assassins, you know, going in to try to kill the president. Like it's, but they luckily they've caught a lot of them. 2022 is so weird, kind of to go off on a tangent because <laughs> think about this: we are taking tourists to space. They're just going on a little trip to space, and at the same time, we got like assassins crossing the border. We got like weird, uh, just archaic stuff going on. And at the, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, we got this stuff that you could only imagine in the, the craziest sci-fi movies going on at the same time in 2022. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird time we live in. It's a weird world we live in. I, I almost kind of think like one day we're just going to wake up and, someone's going to say, you know, we got Rick rolled. This is a big April <laughs> fool's last two years. We're in a, like a weird twilight zone. <laughs> okay. So they actually asked for your residency card to get across the border. You get in. Um, sorry, before we get too far, you came in with other people too, that don't have residency. What, what was, uh, were they hassled at all? Was it easy for them to get in? Uh, so I came with uh, my buddy, Dan Leal who was was on the uh on the podcast Pono Dan uh he came with just his US passport and came as a tourist like zero problems you know he probably said he was volunteering but they didn't like it wasn't like a big deal or anything cuz legally you can go as a tourist right now okay that's good to know um if you're planning your next vacation <laughs> um, so you get you guys started in Lviv correct yeah, so actually our pl- our plan was actually just to stay in Lviv. I I wasn't going to go to Kiev because first it's dangerous right now. Uh second I was a f- it's far. Uh you can't you can't fly there. You have to, you know, basically find uh, other modes of transport. And third, I don't want to get stuck there. So I was so sure that I was not going to go to Kiev. I didn't bring my laptop charger and I didn't bring my house keys. I was like two, you know, two, three days in and out of leave, straight back. We're good. And obviously things changed. So what happened when you got to Lviv that you decided, you know, I got, I got to head over to Kiev. I got a call from my buddy, Vladim, uh, him and Cynthia, uh, his wife, uh, have been doing a lot of good work in Kiev that they stay behind and using their own car. They were delivering food to, you know, old babushkas, old grandmas and, um, you know, pe- people who just couldn't have access to supermarkets or food otherwise, um, you know, they've been doing it for the last two months and I've been donating money to them. Uh, I raised a bunch of money through GoFundMe and a lot of it went to them and they were just doing really good things. Uh, but then <clears throat> a couple of days before I uh, got there, they started working with an actual, like, I don't, I don't even know what they call them. They're, they're like a volunteer battalion uh they you know but they're basically you know soldiers they they have you know uh automatic you know weapons they have an armored car <laughs> they have everything mm-hmm. and Vladim was like Johnny these guys are legit and they can take you into like Irpin uh Bucha these places that like were war torn that had the bridges blown out nobody else can get there like besides you know unless you're like a BBC or CNN reporter like Johnny, you have to come. You have to make a video, and you have to help raise some money. Like you know, you're you're in Ukraine. Just come. And even then, I was like, ah, I don't know. Like I don't even know how we'll get there. And, uh, and he's like, I'll, we'll send you a car. We'll, like someone will pick you up tomorrow morning. Just just come. And yeah, I said yes. So I, I kind of I skimmed through your video a little bit. Uh, really cool what they're doing. Um, how are they funded? Do you know that? Because let's say they went to this store to get food and supplies, which is awesome. But it looked almost like like a Costco type store, just giant bulk items, and you know they got guns, they got trucks, you got to pay for gas. How how are these guys funded? Yeah, so unfortunately, the you know millions of dollars are donated to like Red Cross or like UNICEF. A lot of that, I don't, it's hard to it's hard to know because they're not very transparent with their numbers, but 
like some people estimate that 90% of it never actually goes to like where it's supposed to go. Um, and that's something we've, we've touched on before too, with charities. It's, it's really hard to vet where money is going. And I got to think in this situation, it's even easier to take advantage of people and their donations. Yeah, there's that, but also just these, these, like these charities are so big that it's, it's like, it's, it's slow to move. Um, and even if they just use 10% of their money, it, it looks like they're doing a lot. You know, uh, it doesn't cost that much money to set up a tent in Poland or on the safe sides, you know, of the border and have a bunch of food, you know, soup, you know, it's, you know, it still costs thousands of dollars, but if they're getting millions, that's like a drop in the bucket. Uh, very, very few of them actually go into Ukraine and actually even the ones that do, they're not like, you know, what they're doing is they're finding other locals that, you know, are small charities that are already doing the work. And they basically give them part of the the fundraising, send in some, you know, Red Cross T-shirts, and say, "Okay, here you go." Like now oh, you are. So they'll they'll, they'll yeah. take the credit for it. So you're you're your brand your brand ambassadors essentially. Yeah. So that's kind of the the hard part. That's actually why I started the GoFundMe, is because. I wanted to just have cash. Like I, I have a Ukrainian bank account, so I can just like funnel you know money directly to people. A lot of it was honestly just sending like a couple hundred bucks to like people that I had met in person that I, that I knew were living there, and I assumed, you know, that they're probably struggling, e- even if they didn't ask. Because, like, you know, like for example, like the guy, you know, the 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 guy who like did my floors. I know he's not working right now, and I know he has a kid and he has a, a wife. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'll send him five hundred bucks. You know, just kind of get him through the month. You know, so these little things like that. But um, these these guys, they're doing it on a mass scale. You know, like they're spending thousands of dollars at uh, their version of Costco basically, you know, all the time and just like, you know, buy these products. And a lot of it was actually their own money. Uh, Cynthia Vladim, they live in a tiny, you know, basically one bedroom apartment that their parents um, like handed down to them. And they had saved up, I want to say like, I don't know exactly what it was, but, you know, for sure, like between somewhere between 10 and $30,000, probably, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, a lot of like a significant amount of money to renovate their apartment. That was, that was the dream. That's what they were saving up every penny to do. And when this war happened, they just started spending their own money to buy, you know, dog food, cat food, human food, medicine, kind of, you know, diapers, whatever people needed. And when I saw them doing that, that's when I, I started uh, sending them money. That's really cool. So while we're on the topic of money, obviously we're an investment podcast. Um, let's talk about Ukrainian currency, even Russian currency, the ruble, uh, Ukrainians called the Rivna and what, what has happened to the currency? You think, you know, the economy's in shambles, uh, the currency should be dropping like a rock. And I, I'm not going to shame anybody out there, but there were some bosses out there uh, trying to figure out how to short the currency, which I guess morally, I don't think I could do that to the U- Ukrainian currency. You know, some people, that's that's their own investment and whatever they want to do. Uh, what does what the currency situation look like over there? Yeah, you know, I never understood shorting. Uh, like I, as a legal kind of, uh, you know, thing to do, like I, it's, it just seems rude. Like it doesn't seem like it adds any value in the world. You know, maybe there, there's something to, you know, to, to the balancing act. But anyways, uh Luckily, the Grivna didn't fall as much as everybody was thinking. Like, I thought it would collapse. Uh, I was I was worried, but it dropped from, let's say, you know, twenty seven to the dollar, twenty eight to the dollar, to thirty one to the dollar. So ten percent move. That's almost nothing. It's I'm very very surprised uh, and happy that they were able to to keep it afloat. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's. I don't know. It's down about 10%, which, which all things considered is amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's li- literally our inflation in the U S right now. Right. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a um, wash. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not too, uh, you know, uh, schooled in e- e- uh, economics, but I know a few of the things that they did was first they limited um, conversions of, of foreign currency. So even though I had a bunch of money in my Ukrainian bank account, I couldn't, convert it into to USD and I couldn't send it out of the country. They wanted you to keep it in the country 
uh, in the Grivna and they wanted you to spend money normally to keep the economy going. Uh, so also, you could yeah. essentially, let's say you went and got a coffee, you could use a, a debit card or whatever it is, and it could come out of your printing bank account, no problem. Yeah, 100% worked. And I was very uh, impressed that if for all the people who left uh, Ukraine, you know, literally million, you know, millions of people who fled, they were able to continue using their, their credit cards and debit cards and their Apple pay uh, in other countries in Grivna with very favorable conversion rates and pay for things as normal. That's good to know. Hopefully some of these uh, banks kind of give them a break on that conversion rate too, but who knows how the banks act. Um, well, yeah. if, if, if you're able to use your, your debit card, credit card, whatever it may be as normal, I got to assume that some businesses are open to accept that. So what are things like business wise? Can you just go to a cafe? Is everything open? Is a grocery store open? What are you seeing? Yeah. So in uh, Lviv, uh, which is the, the kind of westernmost city, you'll be surprised. Like if you didn't watch the news, you didn't know what was going on. You would think things are just open as normal, you know, um, to be fair, the soldiers and tanks never got that far. So aside from a few, you know, missile attacks, uh, mainly outside of the center, kind of more in the outskirts of Lviv, Lviv was, you know, relatively untouched, um, you know, and things are open as normal. Uh, the only thing that's not open, ironically, is McDonald's. So a the friend who picked us up from the border, she called and said, you know, can you guys bring me some McDonald's, uh, some nuggets and <laughs> chicken nuggets and a Big Mac? Hey, any comfort in a war. I totally get that. You know, you, you want to be with something comfortable, like your your nugs and your, and your Big Mac. <laughs> yeah. But what's messed up is uh, I know someone who, for, you know, he had to go back to Russia uh, for, for whatever reason. Uh, just some guy on, on Instagram messaged me and he said, Johnny, did you know that the McDonald's in the airport of Moscow and at the train station are both open still and working? Yeah, it's crazy. And like, it's it's like rude, like when, you know, that the McDonald's completely pulled out of Ukraine, uh, even though Lviv is completely safe, they can get supplies from Poland, you know, uh, so it's, it's really not even a supply chain issue, but like more for morale, I think a lot of Ukrainians are kind of pissed. You know, they're like, why is McDonald's closed in our country yet working still uh, illegally in, in Russia, even though technically McDonald's forbids it, but nevertheless, the, the, the franchise owners, you know, continue to operate, continue to use McDonald's branding and logos and, you know, packaging and everything. Yeah, I think the corporation kind of has their hands tied there. I, I'm sure the corporate would prefer them to be closed, but when you can't when you can't touch it, there's not really much you can do. Yeah, so, but you know, they, they could like, like they're still even paying their employees in Russia. Yeah, and like that, you know, at least do that. Like, stop sending money there. But anyways, that's my McDonald's rant. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like life in Lviv is as normal as it could be in a time of war. Uh, we're going to talk about your trip to Kiev and what you saw there. But first, let's take a quick break here from our sponsor, and then we'll hear what Johnny had to say about you, uh, Kiev and what he saw there. This week's sponsor of Invest Like a Boss is Indeed.com. And if you've listened to iLab long enough, you know that Indeed is our longest-running sponsor of the show. And we love how easy they make it to hire. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. They have a ton of great features. One of my favorite ones is Indeed's Instant Match. When you utilize Instant Match as soon as as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. No need to wait. Indeed does the hard work for you. So when you use a sponsored job post like the one I'm about to give you in a second, Indeed Instant Match shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately so you can hire faster. Well, how do you do that, you say? You get started right now because we're going to give you 75 
$25 to use towards a sponsored job credit, all you got to do is head over to indeed.com slash iLab. This offer is good only for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash iLab. That's indeed.com slash I-L-A-B. Terms and conditions apply. Pay per qualified applicant. Not available for all users. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And just like that, we're back on Invest Like a Boss. Johnny, we're kind of making your way through Ukraine. You were in Lviv. Things seem semi-normal, but you're going to Kiev. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, the... the, the... Sorry, Kiev. Wait, 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 wait. Before I interrupt, Kiev. Kiev. Yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll appreciate remember it. now. Okay. So uh, the car ride was long. There's lots of checkpoints. Um, but everything was, you know, pretty pretty quiet. Um as we got closer to Kiev, we started seeing some of the blown out buildings, um, especially on the, the the highway that turns into Urpin and Bucha. But once you get to the center of Kiev, everything is working. Um, everything is, you know, uh, luckily the, the Russian forces were never able to actually get into the center um, because the Ukrainian forces were smart enough to, you know, blow up their own bridges, flood the, the fields uh, surrounding uh, Kiev and basically created an island. So the tanks couldn't cross and they were able to, to withstand. So everything in the center is uh, completely safe, you know, with the exception of a few uh, missile attacks that, that got through. But um, yeah, in general, uh, it's, you know, the buildings are standing, which is good, including my home. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of bridges there too. I just remember... After the air, the airport's pretty far out of town, but coming in, there was a bridge that I swear was the longest bridge I've ever been on in my life. It was like <laughs> three miles long. I'm just picturing like, I hope they didn't blow that up because it's going to take forever to come back. But the, uh, there's water all around. You you wouldn't think of Kiev as, as having that, but to access the actual city, there's bridges everywhere. I mean, maybe that's why they chose it in the first place, just because, you know, whenever you create a capital city and you know the thing is i think americans don't understand um what a european capital city is like because in, in the u.s we don't really care about our capitals like like have you even been to the capital of california i haven't so, yeah <laughs> and and from what i've heard i'm not missing out on a lot <laughs> yeah so in europe it's completely different like when you go to europe like let's say you go to austria you go to Vienna, the capital. That that's it. Beautiful. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's the only city you go to because that's where everything is. That's where all the cool restaurants and you know bars are. That's where all the history is. That is the city you go to. When you go to California, you don't go to Sacramento. <laughs> you know, you go to LA, you go to San Francisco. <laughs> yep. Um, one one thing I really noticed while I was there that you don't see in the US. Picture, you know, any major city in the US. Uh, you got your downtown, you got skyscrapers, uh, big towers, things like that. Get out of town, 20, 30 minutes, you're out in the suburbs. You got houses, maybe some two, three-story apartment buildings. Kiev uh, was different. We would go, I don't know, we were at least half hour, hour out of the city. And there's these giant apartment towers just in the middle of, no, uh, seemingly the middle of nowhere. I'm talking 15, 20 stories I found it really odd that it's kind of a, a really low population area. And then all of a sudden, boom, you got this dense Soviet era building that just pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. The, the reason for that is the center of Kiev has such old historical buildings that was there, you know, even prior to the USSR, the, the building that I live in is over a hundred years old. You know, that they call it like pre-revolutionary, pre-Soviet buildings. Uh, it was during, you know, the times where like there was a SAR, you know, ruling over the country. Um, so this is, you know, way before Russia, way before, um, you know, uh, any of that. And, but afterwards, you know, especially in the what 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, the USSR built a lot of what they call, like sleeping districts or these residential uh, blocks uh, for factories and things like that, that had to be outside of the city because there's no more room in the center. That was really just the administrative building. Uh, the only people who lived in the city center were, you know, politicians or, you know, the, the very wealthy, you know, that's where offices and admin buildings and things like that were. Um, and even, you know, recently, 
it's still been a trend to build new sky, you know, sky rises and, and uh, apartment buildings uh, in the suburbs, you know, 30, you know, 40 minutes outside of the center of Kiev, just to kind of create new residential neighborhoods, you know, because at, you know, at the end of the day, if you think about it, uh, let's say, let's say if you consider downtown LA, the center, there's plenty of other cities, you know, 30, 40 minutes away. Sure. Yeah. LA is kind of a just giant sprawl, um, it's just, it's really seen an industry cause it, you'd be like woods for a few minutes and then boom, you got this big tower. Uh, but it makes sense though, if they were pushing like factory workers out there, kind of the old school, like, um, we need a place for our workers to live. Let's create kind of a corporate town type deal. So that makes sense. Why those uh, large towers would have been built, let's say in the forties and fifties, <laughs> because you got to get workers out there. And it was obviously harder to move around than it is today. So I guess that makes sense, but it also seems like when they're talking that uh, Kiev was was attacked or things were hit, those are those outliers are kind of the first targets, or at least so far. Yeah, because most of the the damage came from you know like these these tanks who drove in from Belarus, and the way that they drove in was kind of the I, don't know, I guess the northwest area, and they had to go through the towns of uh, Irpin, Bucha, uh, Gostomol, and they kind of got, you know, sieged there. They got trapped there because they couldn't cross the bridge because the, um, you know, the Ukrainian army, you know, blew, you know, saw it coming and they're like, okay, you know, we don't want to, but we have to blow up this bridge or they're going to mm-hmm. cross into the center. Uh, we don't want to flood our fields, uh, but we have to, you know, to, to create this, this moat. And those cities got destroyed, you know, for, for two months, there was, you know, like literal tank battles and like, and, you know, uh, it was, you know, it was occupied by the Russians. Um, and there was a few other places like Chernivgiv, which is a little bit Northeast um, that also had very similar, you know, sieges and, and damage. Uh, but luckily, um, you know, the, the center itself, you know, held out and, and, you know, Russia basically failed. They, they couldn't get in. So, I'm just picturing you. You're in the center of Kiev. You actually you posted a photo in that. Um, what's that main square? Uh, something plots, I think it is. Um, um, Maidan or on yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you you put a picture there. I've been there, and I was like, I recognize that place. Uh, there were like almost like I, I don't know what they're called, like tank barrier mm-hmm. barriers up. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there were a few people outside. So Kiev, when I was there last summer, busy. Oh my. Lord, they said they said what there's like four million people in Kiev. It's that's low. It's it's busy, busy, busy. Obviously, not that many people there anymore. Uh, Percentage wise, how many people would you estimate are still there today? Uh, I don't know, maybe ten percent. I mean, and and, you know, this is Is that low. Okay, yeah, this as of like May fifth. It's it's hard to know exactly, but I can tell you that you know, like let's say restaurant wise one in 10 uh, in the center opened. So, you know, I, I walked all, you know, all around and just to kind of see what was, was still operating. And most places are closed either because, you know, they physically are out of the country uh, or uh, they can't, you know, they don't have the staff to, to open, you know, or just say, you know, supply, like there's not enough people to, you know, eating out to, to fund it, but um, things are opening up you know, much faster. I, I would say almost every day there's probably something opening, but things change so fast. You know, May 9th is the you know Russian, you know, Patriot Day. And everyone thinks that, you know, Putin's going to announce something big. Uh, you know, so, you know, whenever you guys are listening to this, it could be, you know, on your commute, you know, weeks later, things might've changed. But, you know, as of, as of uh, the first week of May, 2022, um, I would say things are slowly opening back up. People are slowly moving back in, but realistically it's, I would say between 10 and 25% maximum, um, you know, uh, but probably closer to 10%, to be honest. Okay. So you can eat, I guess if it's, it's harder, but you can eat. Um, I'm assuming there's some, some grocery stores, maybe convenience stores still open with some supplies. What about, just infrastructure. Do you is is the electricity out? Is it working fine? Is uh, internet, uh, water, any issues with that? 
you know, the funny thing is, uh, I think somebody commented that the infrastructure in Kiev uh, during wartime is better than most countries during normal peacetime. I, I think that getting, was you yeah. that commented that, Johnny, because yeah. we're, we're having internet issues. I'm in Los Angeles, and it's every week, whether it's you, Sam, whoever I'm talking to, they're like, oh, we're having internet problems. Is it me? I'm like, no, it's me. Trust me, it's me. So I actually thought I was having internet issues when I, when I got back because it was like a snail's crawl for the upload. Uh, and then the next day, it stopped working completely, and I was like, oh, man, like, you know, I understand if it goes out, but like it sucks. And then I realized, oh, I haven't paid my internet bill in two months. So I logged, I logged to the app. I paid it like probably two minutes later. It went back on and I checked, I did a speed test. Tell me your, your speed in LA and how much you're paying right now. <laughs> Prepare to be underwhelmed. <laughs> so I am paying, I think it's like $50 a month. Okay. Um, I'm running the speed test right now. If it'll work. <laughs> Wait, Johnny. I just yeah. hit the speed test and it uh -huh. said, sorry, it looks like the internet speed <laughs> test is experiencing high demand. Let's <laughs> try later. It, but what do you think it is? Like, what, what do you normally get? Uh, I, I think my download is actually pretty good. I, I want to say it's like 20 to 30. It's decent. It's not great. But the upload is awful. It's like three. It's single digits for sure. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it's like a lot of people don't realize that if you want to actually create content or have a video chat, you have to have like synchronous, like uh, up, up and down, right? You know, it so sucks. I've had to go to like Starbucks to upload a video. Yeah. And I would much rather have 10 megabytes up and down than 25 down or even, you know, uh, you know, like, like whatever number down, but three up. Cause it's three up is barely usable. Yeah. So make me envious of yours. What's your speed test say? So first I pay $6 a month, <laughs> uh, no contracts. <laughs> And I, I, luckily I don't have a contract. I, okay. I, I we're, we're the same on that. Okay. <laughs> so six bucks a month and I get 250 megabytes up and down. That, I, I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say because I've waste when we talk about like time management and how, how valuable your time is. I, I, I can't even count the hours that I've wasted on my life. Just yeah. waiting, waiting. <laughs> It's insane. I'm like even if like you know everybody was back and the the you know gets clogged, it might drop to like you know hundred or like fifty up. You know, or, or, but like whatever it is, Fine it's so me. fast. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the internet worked perfectly. I did a live stream. Uh, I, I like everything worked completely perfectly. The water works, electricity works. Um, there are zero problems with infrastructure in Kiev itself and Lviv itself. Uh, but the places that are under siege and under attack, like Mariupol, um, you know, Donetsk, you know, Donbass, uh, a lot of them, people have been, you know, are currently today, as of today, without electricity, without water. Uh, luckily, it's spring now, almost summer, so they're not, no one's freezing to death anymore. But when I went to Irpin and Bucha, and I, I spoke to a few people, and I said, like, do you have, you know, you know, not, I didn't even ask, I didn't even ask about internet. So like, do you have, um, you know, water and electricity? And they said, and he was like, yeah, yeah, we have it. And I said, when did you get it back? And he said, yesterday. Oh, and had God. been. So since the original invasion? Uh, or, or shortly thereafter. So for sure okay. they're out, you know, for over a month. And this started in February and it is cold, cold there. I, I would oh. say it probably just started warming up in the last three, four weeks. Uh, before that, if you didn't have heat, that sucked. That yeah. Really sucked. And I visited some of the basements that people were hiding in and it's way colder down there. Uh, there's yeah. no insulation or anything. And, you know, people had blankets, people colder up and like, it was, it, it's bad, man. When you see it. Really sad situation. Um, if you went to Kiev, I know it wasn't your plan to go there. And you said you left your keys at home. But you did get into your your main apartment. If just give us a quick recap for people maybe new to the show of what what you bought in Kiev, just just kind of for like a minute, and then what it looks like today. Yeah, so I bought a you know basically a 
two bedroom, um, you know, condo, I guess, in, in the center of Kiev, just like sh- right in the, the center center. Great, uh, great location pre-war. I should yeah. specify. I've been there. <laughs> uh, and I bought it for about $150,000. Um, and then I put it probably close to $50,000 during a renovation that took an entire year. Uh, and I was 95% done. <laughs> it, was, it was like, I just had, I needed to paint the, you know, uh, I needed to like put the door handles on, put some artwork up. Like it was so close to being done. Um, and luckily it survived. Everything is okay. But uh, I was smart enough to put a lockbox um, just so, you know, contractors or friends or whatever, whoever needed it could have access to the apartment. Like if I was gone and luckily that saved me because I was able to get in. So what does it look, what does your building look like? What does your unit look like? Yeah, completely fine. Completely normal. Like I never left, uh, you know, very, very like very, I'm very lucky, but also I'm very grateful to the Ukrainian soldiers. Um, you know, for, you know, defending the center. Cause you know, Russia never got in, which is good. Definitely. I think you got, a, you got a way to keep an eye on your, on your place um, with cameras uh, yeah. somewhere else as well too. Right. Yeah. I have a white like ways or wise, whatever these cameras, these IP cameras, uh, they're fantastic. Best purchase ever made for, you know, 30 bucks or whatever it was. Um, so not only does it act like security, because now even I have my contractors going into my apartment, uh, ironically, to start working again. Uh, and uh, like I can see them. I get an alert. I can even do two-way voice with them. It's it's really cool. I, I wish I had this for my Harkiv apartment, though, because that is uh, another story. Yeah, let's... Let's talk about Kharkiv in a minute. Uh, you, you brought up security, which I forgot to ask. I was going to ask this earlier. Let's say two years ago, 2020, here in the U.S., during COVID, a lot of people took advantage of businesses that were closed. And unfortunately, there was a lot of looting, um, just kind of grabbing stuff because the police were kind of helpless at the time. And, you know, if I could get some sneakers, some TVs, I'll take whatever I can get. And it sucks, but it did happen. Uh, is any of that going on in Ukraine? Because there's got to be, you know, electronic stores, sneaker stores, whatever it may be that, you know, the inventory is just in there and no one's really watching. Uh, are you seeing any of that uh, kind of at storefronts in Kiev or anywhere else? So uh, I it's it's actually kind of nice that none of that really happened there. Uh, and, and for two reasons. One is... I feel like Ukrainians aren't as entitled as Americans are like, like, you know, there's, you know, there's bad people everywhere in the world, but Ukrainians in general, there's like, they don't, you know, like they don't really, they wouldn't think of doing that, especially during like a war. And uh, secondly, what they did was, you know, they, they, they've announced saying like, do not mess around like during wartime because we have you know other issues to deal with like the police and the you know can't be there because mm-hmm. they're fighting for the you know fighting for the country and they warned everyone they said if you loot during this time like you will be severely punished like it's like it becomes a war crime uh yeah so the only people who did it were the the they call them you know, the Romas, right? Like some people call them gypsies, which yeah. is a derogatory term, but uh, <laughs> they caught a lot of them uh, doing it. And, you know, maybe a couple like, you know, drunken, uh, you know, kind of just like what you, what you call like non-adequate kind of, you know, people. Uh, and they made, decided to make an example of them. So what they did was they would, they would, you know, someone would catch them doing it. <clears throat> they didn't have, you know, jails or anything. They didn't have the infrastructure to, to deal with them. So they, they would just duct tape them to a telephone pole. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. That's awesome. <laughs> and then like these old grandmas will walk by and just yell at them saying, what are you doing? Don't you know our country's at war? Like we have bigger issues to do. A few of them, they spanked publicly, you know, none of them like were seriously hurt, you know, uh, you know, they, they let them go before the end of the night. So nobody, you know, starved to death or froze or anything, but it was, I'm sure it was humiliating. That's um, amazing. I love it. <laughs> and yeah. And you know, the funny thing is some people post like the, the, the kind of the, the Russian propaganda side posting and saying, look at these, you know, how inhumane these guys are. They're like resorting to this, but I think most people saw it. They're like, Oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. <laughs> No, I, I love that idea. All right. I wanted to ask you about that because it didn't seem like it was very prominent. Whereas, you know, and just Ukrainians in general aren't 
as you know material crazy and showy as they are they are are. like they they like nice things but the thing is they maybe they can't afford it so i guess that's yeah but i don't know i i think most ukrainians are like if i can't afford buying it like i'm not gonna like what like what's i'm I'm just not gonna have it you know like they want the pride of of buying it like they they don't want to steal it they want to earn it okay okay that that's more specification, whereas Americans are usually looking for the easy way to get to yeah. something. Um, okay, so Kharkiv, you, you, uh, tell everyone what you bought there, because a lot of people might not be familiar, um, what you were using it for and what it looks like today. Yeah, so it was uh, my bachelor pad, <laughs> but really it was... Um... It was a fully furnished, renovated one bedroom. It's kind of a small uh, apartment, but it it was right in the city center, great location, uh, and it was only forty grand. It, it was you know it, it was such a good deal, and I put it on Airbnb, and within a, you know days it was fully booked. Probably for the entire six months I had it, like it was it was almost never empty. So. It would have been the best investment of my life. I was probably getting like a 20% return on it. You know, it was turnkey. Like I literally, you know, bought some plates and towels from Ikea, but everything else, like the furniture, the TVs were there. The couch was there. The washing machine was there. The fridge was there. It was the best, you know, purchase of my life. And then now there's probably a 50% chance it no longer exists. So you, you don't know for sure, do you? Yeah. There, there's no way to tell. It's it's so dangerous right now to go there because it's so close to uh, to um, to the border of Russia. I've heard there hasn't been a single day without artillery fire or missile attacks to, to Kharkiv. Uh, a lot of it's in the center itself because, the, the, you know, they didn't have the, you know, the, the island system. They didn't have the, the bridges to you know, to collapse, they didn't have the fields to flood. So yeah, unfortunately, you know, Russia got inside and it's, it's kind of screwed. Super unfortunate. Um, I, I think we could talk about this topic for, for hours, Johnny. Um, let's talk, let's, let's touch on one more thing. And you know what, we might have to do a follow-up episode on this coming up soon. Cause things are changing so fast, but w- let's just have one final look from you on the future of Ukraine, assuming this ends hopefully sooner rather than later. And Ukraine comes out. I don't even know if I would call it victorious because of all the things that have happened, but hopefully remains independent. Um, what do you think the economy looks like day one? So as long as the actual threat of Russia goes away, you know, um, which everybody's hoping for, I think Ukraine actually has a very prosperous future. I think they're actually going to be way better off. Uh, you know, it's going to take, you know, five or 10 years to, to, to rebuild and kind of get there, but I think they're going to be way better off than they were. Uh, and it's going to be fast tracked. Uh, number one, everybody in the world knows where Ukraine is now. It's become, you know, like in Kiev, like is now as well known as Vienna, you know, um, it's mm-hmm. it's a city that people would probably want to visit in the future, you know, uh, when things are quiet again. Uh, everybody, you know, it's like it, the world is on the map, right? Um, a lot of money is going to be poured in from either like seized Russian assets or just from other countries donating. So there'll be money to rebuild. It just it will just take time. Um, but I'm afraid though. A lot of Ukrainians who left, I mean, I don't know the exact amount, but let's say 8 million Ukrainians left the country during the war. I don't know how many of them will actually come back because imagine, you know, you went all the way to Canada and you have a three-year visa, you have a house, you know, you got a new job, you, uh, you know, started learning, you know, English or, you know, um, you settled. Why would you go back to Kiev, especially when it's, you know, um, you know, just so fresh out of war and, and uh, a lot of places are still bombed. Maybe your house is bombed, right? Or destroyed. Same with people that move to like Germany or Poland or wherever it is, you know, they spend all this time learning the language, assimilating, getting a good job. It's going to be hard for a lot of people to go back. I think think the the shorter it is, the better chance that you're going to come back. If this goes on for years, it's you're right. It's going to be tough because if you, if you've been somewhere a year or two and you've established a new life, it's it's going to be hard to leave. Exactly. I think one really smart thing that Ukraine did was they blocked all men from leaving and they're, 
their reason was, you know, we, you know, in case we need them, um, you know, to, to fight the war. But I think the other uh, effect, which is even more positive is if your husband or your brother, you know, or, you know, someone is still in Ukraine, you have a reason to go back. You just have the connection go back. Yep. That, that makes sense. I didn't even put that together when they were first issuing that order. Um, I, I agree with you. I think I see this as a uh, think of after World War II, Germany and Japan, their their economies just exploded because the U.S. and other countries flooded them with money to kind of get them back on their feet. I hope that's what's going to happen with Ukraine afterwards. And I think it will. And you're right. The Ukraine, a lot of people will be like, where is that? Or I've heard of that, you know, Kiev. I've heard of that, I guess. I don't know exactly where it is. Everyone knows what it is now. And I think everyone's going to want to help and get them back on their feet as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, ironically, Russia is going the exact opposite direction where I think they're going to close off. They're going to become like the next, you know, prior you know, country. They might become the next North Korea. They might become the next, you know, communist China, you know, just kind of close off to the rest of the world. So I, like, I, it's, it's crazy that Putin actually did this gamble because, you know, it was such a big risk. And that's why I really didn't think he would attack because I knew the repercussions, you know, but, you know, it turns out he is like a psychopath. It was like, let's bet everything on red eight, you know, (laughs) and, you know, it's, this is where he's at now. Yeah. I think we could talk a whole nother episode on Putin's mindset and why this happened, but we're going to save that for next time. Um, one thing we're going to we're going to end on is some uh, charitable ventures. Johnny, you know, you know this well, you know what's going on. Um, where's a good place to raise money? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, to send money. And I think we are also making a contribution to the podcast as well. I think you can um, enlighten us all on that, Johnny, before we get out of here. Yeah. So the the bad places would be, you know, anywhere that's such a big company like I'm sure Red Cross and UNICEF and all of them are doing some good, but you know, without them being fully transparent and, and fast enough to to do you know uh, great things in, inside of of Ukraine itself, uh, that's not the best place to send your money. Uh, that being said, don't let that discourage you because every dollar helps. You know, like ten twenty bucks you know, to us, you know, is like a Chipotle, but to them can literally like feed them for a week, you know, if you're really starving. So it, it like, you know, it really, really helps. It adds up quick too. Like what you, I mean, the, the, the greatest thing about donating is when you donate and you share that you donated, it encourages other people to do it. So it becomes like this, this ripple effect. Um, so find, you know, a local charity that operates inside of Ukraine itself, check, you know, and and you can, you know, you can just check, you know, videos on YouTube, you can check Instagram, you can check whatever and see if they're actually in Ukraine doing stuff. Uh, And then check, you know, how, how big they are, you know, Um, if you know anyone, you know, directly PayPal finally started working in, in Ukraine. That's kind of one good thing about, this conflict is PayPal never worked uh, in Ukraine, but now they fast tracked it, which is good. Um, so you can actually send money directly to people now if you know them. But you know, be careful. Don't send money to random people because who knows, right? It might be like, it might not even go to someone in Ukraine, or it might go to someone who doesn't need it. So um, that's always hard as well. Um, the funds that that I like uh, and I've donated to and. Uh, would be like Razomb for Ukraine, which means together uh, with Ukraine. There's another one called Nova Ukraine. Uh, these guys, you know, are actually in there. Uh, but, you know, they're also kind of big, big, uh, medium-sized charities. A lot of it, they're they're directing their, their money uh, to smaller ones as well. And that's why I like donating to places like, you know, with like Cynthia and Vadim who are on the ground doing it, or um, Roman, his foundation is called Help. Uh, help Ukraine, um, you know, and then there's the other places that are helping the refugees that have already left. So uh, Derek and Sam were kind enough to say, you know what? Yeah, let's give a thousand dollars out of our uh, out of our salary this month and let's help some kids. So we are we've already donated to the GoFundMe for a school uh, for Ukrainian kids in Romania. Uh, And fun fact is the president of Germany decided to go visit that classroom. So they have photos with the president of Germany there. 
Awesome. Yeah, we're definitely happy to help. Um, it, it won't be our last donation either um, as this thing goes on. Um, it's good to know good sources. Um, Johnny, send me some some links to that. We'll put it in the show notes of uh, places that you've kind of vetted to donate. And also, obviously, the link to the school that we donated to as well. So we can show you guys that and you can help as well. We'd really appreciate it. And obviously, the whole country of Ukraine would you appreciate it. Um Johnny, anything else we got to talk about before we get out of here? Like I said, we should do a follow-up on this soon. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting talking about it because there's so much information online. I would say big thing is, you know, there, there's lots of, you know, people talking about the two sides uh, of the conflict. And, and I'll, you know, before Russia actually attacked, you know, I was happy to talk about policies, um, you know, that Ukraine can do differently or better or the NATO expansion, things like that. Um, but that was before people started dying and, and Russia attacked. Now, the only thing that that matters is for Russia to stop killing people and stop attacking. So Russia 100% clearly invaded a peaceful country. They're the, they're the aggressor. They're the attacker. So nothing else matters right now. So you know, if you start reading some propaganda online on from the other side, you can just tell them to shove it and say, you know, get out of the country, stop attacking, and then we can talk about it. So um, support Ukraine, support Ukrainians however you can. And uh, yeah, thanks for, for listening to the episode. Please share this with anyone who you think would be interested uh, that wants to kind of hear the, the inside scoop of what it's like in Ukraine uh, and what the war is like right now. Great. Yeah. I'm glad we did this. We're going to do more of these uh, one-on-ones as well too. You know, uh, we've heard from you guys that you want to um, talk about other things than just what's the hottest new investment and, you know, like it or not, um, there's some exciting things going on in our life and exciting doesn't always mean good. It could mean bad as well. So <laughs> I guess you guys want to hear about that. So we, we've heard from you guys and we're going to try to open up a little bit more about uh, just everyday life and hopefully getting this Ukraine thing over with and Johnny can get back to Kiev full time. All right. Thanks, Derek. Have a good one. And uh, Slava Ukraine, guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.